one of the, uh, I guess it's a benefit, one of the uh, benefits of being in a uh, pastoral role that I am is that um, you're kind of coming into contact with suffering on a pretty regular basis and uh, not kind of the, the, um, the day-to-day kind of maybe suffering, pe- people can tend to handle that, and so you, you, you tend to be engaging and, and moving into places of suffering that are of more like the capital S suffering variety, the, 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 the tragic and the heartbreaking and the disillusioning. But what happens is you kind of learn over time, and God teaches you through all kinds of means to increase your capacity to bear those burdens. And you do that because you recognize that as a pastor, part of what you have to do is not um, allow the suffering and hardships of the world to sabotage the mission of the church, which is worship and the proclamation of the gospel. And so what happens is you, you sort of, um, I don't even know how it happens. It's definitely not mechanical. But it's, um, God begins to give you and increases your ability to hold and bear burdens and to bear tensions so that you can, 48 weeks out of the year, lead on a Sunday morning while holding suffering and hardships in your own life, things that you're going through, the mess in your own life, mess of other people, so that the mission of the church can continue. And I say that to say there are just weeks and seasons of ministry, and I haven't had many, I can only think of two, and one was this week, but there are seasons of ministry where, and moments where your capacity, where the, 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 the tragedy just overwhelms your capacity, even as someone who kind of um, works in that field, so to speak. And this is one of those weeks. Um, I just kind of sat there for a long time trying different strategies of how do you write a sermon for today? And you kind of, you type stuff and then you end up erasing it and you, you write it again and you reread it and it sounds so trite and awkward and then um, you try to write a lo- writing longhand and you, you just you kind of, I think I started and stopped and restarted this message, I don't know how many times. So kind of what's happening this morning isn't a kind of crafted, polished sermon. I got you know, some notes here on a piece of paper, but it's, um, it's a message that comes out of a, a, a really challenging tension, and the tension is this. When tragedy strikes it is not appropriate to come together and worship and kind of continue to do and be the church as if nothing's happened. That's a form of denial. It's not healthy. It's not loving. Um, It is actually really callous because our love for God and our love for our neighbor is inextricably linked. And when they're suffering on this level, it suffering on the vertical, on the horizontal in our relationships that impacts our relationship with God. We have to be able to bring that to God and process that together. So the one tension is to carry on as if nothing happened, and then the other tension is to turn this morning into a m- memorial service, which that isn't the purpose of this morning. 
And I do know Max well enough to know he would have been very upset if we would do that. I know that. I know if he could have foreseen the outcome of this week, he would have said, I want you guys to gather. I want you guys to praise God. I want, I want, to, I want you guys to worship together. And I want you to continue into the mission of God. And so we do that. But we do it with heavy hearts. We do it with questions. And we do it um, not with our hearts and uh, firing on all cylinders. This morning we, we move into the mission of God and we move into the word of God broken and open and feeling maybe more vulnerable than normal, but we still move forward. I'd like to take a moment to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to leave space open. And this is a chance for people to, either with a word or silently or out loud, to just give thanks to God for Max, to give voice to their own grief or their own lament. I know, especially in our culture, no one likes to be vulnerable publicly, so I understand that. So I don't want you to feel cajoled into doing something or filling up the empty space. Sometimes silence speaks volumes. Um, but I thought it was appropriate to give that space. So let's just take a moment. I'll pray, leave space open, then I'll close. God, in so many ways, I don't even know what to pray. There's a verse in Scripture. I remember uh, Curtis showed it to me a few months ago. Where the cry is, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do. We've lost someone that we love who was a, a, a genuine ambassador to your kingdom. We've lost a friend and a brother. And uh, in the midst of that grief, God, we cry out to you. It doesn't seem right on any level. It doesn't make sense. Um, it's very hard to see how there's a redemptive arc to this story. But we're putting our trust in you. Help us, God. Give you thanks that we are so heartbroken because you impacted so many through Max. So his loss is devastating to us. I give you thanks for his friendship in my life, as brief as it was, and the way that he served this community in ways seen and unseen, God.
God give us grace to process this loss within the context of worship and prayer individually and <coughs> together with Colleen and with each other and as a community. This is a unfamiliar path, but we will follow you down it, trusting in you that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will trust that you are with us protecting us. Give us the food that we need for the journey and sustain us by your grace. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we ask this. Amen. When I was thinking about today, and we're kind of in this series, um, 
blessed, which is the ECC's, or our denomination's Evangelical Covenant Churches, an acronym that they use to help, to help break down and make it simple for people just to engage in the mission of God in everyday life. Sometimes we hear about people being involved in the mission of God, and we think, well, that's for super Christians or super spiritual people or people who know more than I do or have um, these skill sets that I don't have. But if you are a Christian, you haven't just been saved out of the penalty and power of sin. You've been saved into a new life of service and a new life of mission being directed by Jesus. That means that God wants to do things in and through your life that is unique. And there's a way um, that God wants to uniquely touch the world and shape the world through who you are and your skill set. And I was thinking about this series, and I thought, you know, this is something that, again, I know Max would be like, don't you dare pause this thing for me. Because mission, local, bleeding into um, global, was Max's passion. And the practices that we're looking at, these five practices, are things that were woven into Max and Colleen's life. This wasn't just ideas for them. Often when I would talk with Max over coffee, uh, like Mike was referring to, he'd be saying things, and I'm like, wow, I think, I think Max looks to me as a spiritual authority, but I feel like I'm, I'm the one scribbling down notes real quick. And I'm taking this back to God in prayer and saying, wow, I want to have that kind of faith. The five practices that we're looking at help us to live into a biblical vision of being a blessing to the world. They're five practices that will cause you to mature in your own life and relationships. They're five practices that will help people, other people discover Jesus' as good news who don't know Jesus. There are five practices that can build real transformative community. And there are five practices that I want to become synonymous with our church family in my own life. And they are begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve in love, and share your story. Five practices we can all do in ways little and small, but whether the expression of them are little, are little or large, they have a huge impact. They really, really do. So I want to just take a few minutes and talk about the importance of listening with care. Um, I think as you get older, you realize that communication is a key skill in life, maybe the most important skill in life. And yet, ironically, almost all of our education is focused on helping us express our ideas to other people through speaking and writing. I doubt anyone in school took Listening 101. You would have taken creative writing. You would have gotten coaching on how to give presentations, standing up in front of people, how to articulate your thoughts on paper, um, maybe even participated in a debate club where you're learning how to craft and hone your ability to um, convey your ideas and opinions with as much clarity as possible. And so we spend all these years learning how to read and write and then learning how to speak, and yet we're often not taught to listen, which is the other half of communication. I think about how strange that is, that we are equipping ourselves to be understood and just hoping that we gather the skills necessary in order to understand where other people are coming from. And if you take that 
unequal um, kind of investment in terms of what our society promotes. And then you overlay it into our friendships and our marriages and our church family relationships and our work relationships. Is it really surprising we deal with as much chaos as we do? When our default agenda, by training, in our bones, our fundamental posture is, I want to make sure you understand where I'm coming from. And if you have two people or a room full of people all trying to have their perspectives understood, that's just a recipe for disaster. Disaster, at at worst, maybe just kind of stalled out and being stuck at best. So if you're like me, for much of your life, you have probably sought first to be understood, to get your point across. And in doing, you either ignore the other person completely or kind of pretend that you're listening, minimize their concerns, put it really quickly. You listen long enough to kind of say, oh, I kind of get where this is going, and you put it through your own autobiographical filter and say, I see where they're coming from. But you're, all do- you're doing that. You know, their sharing with you is an interruption, is an obstacle on the road of you having yourself be heard. Right? So, of course, I listen to other people, but only to the extent that it allows me to understand how to now exert my will and my understanding on them. And sometimes that can be very innocent, and I don't always mean that comes out of a malicious intent. But if you become aware of your patterns of communication, especially as it relates to listening, that's one of the things that I found very humbling, is how often I'm listening until I kind of get it. And then I fill the rest of the blanks in, because I've, I've heard this before, or I know this script, I know the story, I know how it ends, so let's just be efficient and I understand. But now we can move forward because I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from. We listen out of our own frame of reference, through our own life experiences on one level, which is natural, but it can really get in the way of genuinely hearing another person. There's a few scriptures I want to share this morning, the primary one being Proverbs 18.13. It's a proverb, just a really short encapsulation of a really important biblical truth that points to the way God has structured reality. Proverbs 18.13 says, To answer before listening... That is folly and shame. To answer before listening is folly and shame. Folly meaning it's foolishness. It's the complete other direction of common sense. And shame is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation. There's not a lot of things in the Bible that the Bible that that, that God declares to be shameful. One of them is to answer before listening. Is to seek to be understood before you've actually taken the time to understand. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Who has time to listen? I got a lot of stuff to say. Proverbs 10.19, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And the inference of that verse, Rabbi say, is about saying, Um, We have to hold our tongue in order to receive from the other person. It's not just that being silent is somehow a virtue. It's being silent in in the context of relationship and listening. That's linked to Proverbs 15.28. The heart of the righteous weighs its answer. It's careful. It's ponderous. It's slow. 
let's really tease this out. But the mouth of the wicked gushes evil, overflow, flat, fast, a torrent of words and ideas and opinions. But the righteous, those who are living aligned to God's patterns and reality, his principles, his truths, they weigh their answers carefully. And then a great verse from James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry. The context of that is actually about teaching in church. James is pushing back against people who show up on Sunday and say, yeah, there's kind of apostles and other teachers, but I've got something to say. I should be in the pulpit. I've got something to say. God showed me something. And he says, here's the basic pattern. You should be very slow to speak and very quick to listen in the context of learning about the things of God and, and publicly teaching. And James is going to later on talk about how not many of you should aspire to be teachers because you're going to be judged more harshly. But I think obviously there's a principle here that should be riven through our whole life. We should be people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. Being quick to speak is a sign of immaturity. And it's actually a sign of a lack of love. Because poor listening or premature answering, listening just long enough to then, okay, I see where this is going, so here's my two cents. What that indicates is that if I operate that way, what it indicates is I have a, um, a fairly low regard for the person that I'm speaking with. Um, because the only way you can resp- either not listen or resp- um, just listen long enough to get your point across is because um, you aren't taking the time to hear and to connect with this other person on a human level. They're a one-dimensional issue for you or they're a project or they're an interruption in your day, it's, this isn't an opportunity to connect with another fellow image bearer who's carrying a unique blend of hurts and challenges and frustrations. Sometimes we fail to listen and fail to respond well because we're too absorbed in our own ideas. And the, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish oral tra- tradition, which is called the Mishnah, which is not in the Bible, but it's the outside kind of commentary of Jewish rabbis on the Mishnah, they, said, they had kind of a list of the characteristics of an uncultured person, of a pers- person who is um, operating in an inhuman way, outside of how God ordained the order uh, of society and relationships to run. And the, uh, the inability to listen to another person thoughtfully and carefully was seen as um, the second characteristic of an uncultured person. It was really high on their list of, this is evidence you are really out of step with God. That your first impulse is always to seek to be understood and not to seek to understand. When I was mm, 18, 17, probably, no, 18, summer of my first year, I read a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, which is a great book. You should all read it, especially if you're probably in a 17 to 25 window. It would I think it would be a really important age to read that book. Covey kind of studied people who are successful, not necessarily in a worldly sense of the word, but in a full, rich sense of the word. word. Healthy relationships, vibrant meaning in, in life, were a role model to other people. And he kind of looked at some of these successful people in history across cultures and said, it's kind of seven habits which define these people. 
And it was his way of kind of pointing to the fact that I think these habits are the way that God is, they're kind of baked into reality. I, I don't think these habits are by chance. They, they come across cultures and across time periods. And one of those habits, one of those characteristics of people who are highly successful in their relationships was that they displayed the consistent habit of seeking first to understand and then to be understood. So they switch, they switch kind of the, the, the equation of our impulsive hearts. I want to be understood. I want to make sure this person knows where I'm coming from. No. First, I want to understand where the other person's coming from. Really understand it so that my response can be something which can um, build from here and it's no longer antagonistic but I'm operating from a place of real, genuine understanding. I'm not just responding to a caricature of a person or a stereotype of a person or out of presumption, but real, deep understanding. This is something that is very, very difficult to do. It sounds easy on paper, but it's very, very difficult to do. But it's so important to do. Because the older I get the more my lived experience tells me one of the major doorways that you can open to helping people experience the love of God tangibly in their life, to really feel that they are loved and that God loves them, and to even become aware of how God is maybe working in their life is to be a listening presence in their life, to take time to listen with care to people. I really believe people are starved for a listening ear. I've had a number of conversations over the last two weeks where I have said very, very little and ended my time with people in prayer. And almost to a person, they say, thank you very much for just listening. And then they'll usually say something like, I don't have many people in my life who will just listen to me. I have people who will hear what I say for a few minutes and then say, yeah, yeah, I got my own stuff. And, yeah. Or they'll placate it, they'll kind of throw a Christian bumper sticker. Well, don't worry, the Bible says this. And so, you know, they operate out of their own anxiety. Um, they can't hold what the person is saying. It just makes them feel overwhelmed. And so they either try and get out of the situation or they're just visibly uncomfortable. And the person picks up on that and kind of brings the conversation to a close and moves on. But one of the gifts, increasingly, we can give other people in our culture to each other as Christians and towards people who are, are not believers is the gift of our presence, unhurried presence, and attention. And I'm, I'm a realist. I understand that you can't go through life always being unhurried and having full seeking to understand and all things. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying moving through our day and moving through our lives and being attentive to those times where the Spirit can prompt us to say, you need to slow down here a second, there's something here. And the greater, the more important the relationship, or the greater the suffering, the slower we have to go. And the more, everyone understands it in a superficial kind of exchange. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, how's it going? Good. Oh, good. How's it going? How are the kids? Da, 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 da. Like, that's, you're not gonna, it's not going to be a context. You're dropping your kids off at school to seek first to understand for two hours with someone in the morning. They don't want that. But there are times where there is an opportunity and we have to become sensitized to it because that is a massive way that we love people. See, listening doesn't seem 
like that big a deal. I think it's tempting to see and understand listening as, um, well, I just wonder if our culture doesn't really celebrate it because it just seems kind of passive. And to the untrained eye, it just kind of looks like nothing much is happening. Like they're not doing very much. I remember early on in ministry when I would listen to people and they would say, wow, thank you so much. That was an amazing conversation. And I was like, I think I said 12 words in the last 58 minutes. But you realize what God is doing is using the context of a listening culture that you've created to allow the person to talk it out and then the Holy Spirit's filling in the blanks and they're like, wow, that was such great advice, Jeff. And I'm like, God bless. I, I really don't, I didn't actually offer any advice, but that's what God does in their life and in their heart. But I remember walking away from those conversations and always saying, well, I didn't do anything. That's actually not true, right? Like when we take time to really suspend our own ego, to put our own agenda aside and really look at people and listen to them and try and understand and ask questions, when you try that, you're going to find out real quick how tiring that is. That is work. That is emotional heavy lifting. And that's why we often avoid it. Because again, we have a kind of a capacity for, I can hear so much and then it's like, I'm out. And so we have to learn to, to flex those muscles and allow God to put us in the situations where we have to bear burdens that are a little bit more than we can bear on our own. And we go to God and he increases our capacity and we learn to listen. And we learn to create these spaces where in an unhurried way, we can in different ways communicate to someone, I want to I wanna know more about that. Can you share more about that with me? I want to understand where you're coming from. Please tell me more. Your success in life, and I mean that again in the richest and most robust sense of the word, your success in life is in large part um, determined by your ability to do this, to seek first to understand and then be understood. Both are important, but the sequence is critical. Psychologist Jordan Peterson says, he would argue the ability to articulate yourself is the major determinant of success. I've seen him lecture, and one of the things he says is, is this is why you go to university or get educated. You get educated in order to hone your ideas down to a point where you can articulate them to such a degree that um, you, are, you are powerfully and clearly presenting your ideas in such a way that it is very difficult to argue against them because they're so coherent and they're so well thought out and the words used are so precise. And he says, if you can arrive at that state in your life, then you win. He's quoted, you, you win everything because success goes to the person who can articulate themselves. And I would push back on that and say, I think articulation is very important but I would disagree. I think a huge determinant of success in your life is this. Are you able to listen skillfully to other people and to listen with care so that when you do articulate yourself, the right ideas in the right way, with the right tone and the right intention and the right goal, that those things complement each other. Articulation is not helpful you probably know many very, very smart people who just because they either can't or won't or aren't good listeners, you're not interested in what they have to say. You're just not. And, and people who aren't Christians aren't interested in what Christians have to say. If our first posture is, let me tell you, blank. Even if it's, I want to tell you about Jesus, right? Look at the BLESS acronym. Where is Share Your Story? It's at the end doesn't always pan out that way, but 99% of the time, we have to earn the right to share our story. And you do that by praying and then by 
listening to people, really trying to understand. And not just so you can get to the share your story. Again, that's not really listening. You listen to be impacted by them, to understand what God has been doing in their life, even if they can't put those pieces together, to understand the unique contours of their pain, their woundedness, their hurts, their suffering. And it's from that place that people begin to experience freedom. So when you listen to, I think when you listen to people, it's kind of like a spiritual oxygen. People are starved for, for a space where they can just share openly and honestly without feeling the need to self-censor. And there's not, I'm not saying, again, you can find that in every context. You can't. You know, we're not all going to come here on Sunday morning and completely be 100% exposed and vulnerable to each other. That might, probably wouldn't even be appropriate. We wouldn't be able to handle that. But we have to have relationships in our life where we can do that. And so we go on the journey of learning to cultivate a posture of listening with care in key relationships. So how do we listen? Just a few thoughts, and then I'll close. My wife was like, you don't need to worry about putting a sermon together and making it all fit and everything's perfect. And I said, I'm not worried. I, I can talk for 35 minutes no matter what. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried it's not going to be coherent. But how do we listen? How do you actually do it? Because it is a skill. And I'll seed something up this morning. We'll post some other things in the Summit newsletter and online. And, and just, just start where you are. If, you, if, you're, if where you are is like, I'm not really a good listener. Great, own that, and then just say, God, help me. So it starts with a commitment to seek first to understand, then be understood. Okay, that's great. But what does that look like? Well, it looks like shifting the posture of your heart from advocacy to inquiry. So advocacy is, how do I advocate for my views on the subject? I believe in them strongly. I have strong convictions. I really feel strongly about this topic. How do I, again, articulate? How do I advocate and kind of say my thing? It's not a bad thing. It's secondary. The first thing is inquiry asking questions. You, one of the ways you know and you can grow in becoming a better listener is by just asking more questions. Not, how are you doing? The person responds, and then you say, oh, I went through something similar. You, you know, keep asking questions. Um, could you tell me more about that? Uh, I'm not sure I understand what you meant by that statement. Um, so asking questions and inquiring is one very practical step that we can take. The other thing you can do is just reflect back to the person, and this does feel kind of mechanical at first, but if you are being listened to, it doesn't feel mechanical, it feels really caring. Is one person, someone shares something with you, try and cultivate the habit of saying, because you have your own thoughts of, I, I, I just heard what I heard, but just say, so what I hear you saying is that blank. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like you're saying you just feel totally overwhelmed right now. And do your best to just summarize, as you see it, what you just heard. Sounds like you're really mad at your brother or sibling for this. Because that gives them a chance to say, yeah, totally. You heard me right. Or to say, no, what? Were you listening to the last four minutes of my rant? How did you get, I love my brother. I'm not, you know. But it's in that moment, that pause to say, Am I hearing you right? I kind of feel like you said this. And you're giving power back to that person to say, keep clarifying for me where you're coming from because I want to understand. So asking questions, reflecting back, back, 
And then this is very hard. This is really, really hard in the lived reality of when we're in high pressure, high stakes communication is to just stay silent. What we interpret generally in conversations is when the other person stops talking, then they've stopped talking. And that is not true. People don't share in unbroken essays, right? You have to come up for air. So often what I will do is I will wait 10, 20, 30 seconds and not say anything after they finish a sentence. And that is hard because you will want, want to rush in. It's going to be okay. A Bible verse comes to mind. Here, how about this? Um, we might even rush in with a question. And to just sit there 20 seconds when someone else is exposing themselves to you in a state of emotional vulnerability, that feels like a long time and it feels really uncomfortable. But if you can hold that silence, what will often happen is they will continue to share. And then you get to the place where you can hold it for 30 seconds or a minute and then you can ask a question. And they feel listened to because they don't feel like, I have to get it all in because once I stop talking, then the ball gets passed and the ball's in Jeff's court and now he's going to give me, you know, pastoral breakdown. Just be in silence with people. Presence is powerful. Presence is healing for people. That's one of the ways we listen with care is just to be quiet. And the rabbi said, you have two ears and you have one mouth, but also notice the pattern. The ears are open and exposed and the tongue is walled behind teeth. It's not that words are unimportant. It's just that we should be listening and, and be very quick to want to hear and receive and to hold that space for people. So we ask questions, we, re- we reflect, and we allow silence. We trust that God will use silence and just our presence of really hearing and holding what the other person's saying. A word of advice for those of us who in the coming uh, weeks and months and years will be loving and supporting Colleen and other people in our lives who have gone through deep tragedy is if you can, it will be a hard habit to break. If you can, avoid the question, um, how are you doing? Uh, Try, even over text, email, in person, certainly at church, if you want to say something, approach someone and say, would you like me to ask you how you're doing? Would you like me to ask you how you're doing? That gives power to the other person to say, no, I don't. One of the hardest places for people to re-engage in after a tragedy is church. It's one of the hardest places. People will often avoid it for a long time. Not because they don't believe that they're loved by God or loved by other people. The thought of having that question and those conversations happen incessantly over and over and over and over and over again outside of their control is emotionally overwhelming. So they will retreat from church and put themselves in a situation where they can control who has access to them just out of self-preservation because you just can't keep wading through those waters on the cues of other people. And so as people who are grieving and who are hurting come into the space, we don't ignore them, but we also find ways, even if it's just through a touch, hand on the shoulder, a hug, no words. And if we come to words, it, they should kind of 
we have to practice. Would you like me to ask you how you're doing? And give that person the power to say, I don't want to be listened to. I don't want to talk about stuff right now. I just want to be in this space. Wonderful. We will honor that. So that's a gift that we can give, not just to Colleen, but to other people who are close to us who are suffering. Listening with care is really hard. Um, I experienced that this week. It is tiring on a lot of levels. But it is one of the most tangible ways that you can show and express love to another human being. God can use listening powerfully, even though it looks like nothing is happening and it looks very passive. And our culture says, no, the victory goes to the person who says the perfect thing at the perfect time. But when you go through suffering, you realize how thin words are in those moments of deep grief and how powerful a listening, unhurried presence is. And so let's be a people who are growing into the mission of God, sometimes not by loudly getting out there and proclaiming the truth of our faith or the truth of our own experience, but by coming to people and saying, would you like me to ask you how you're doing? I'd like to know more. Tell me your story. I want to understand better where you're coming from. Because if we do that with each other and with our community, God will do amazing things. There will be healing, restoration, new life, and new hope. To answer before listening, that is folly and it is shame. And so, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Let's pray. God, give us the grace to be a people who can live this out. Who know how to bear burdens by listening to people in an unhurried way. May we start this week in some of our key relationships. Increase our capacity, Holy Spirit, so that we can be a presence of healing and restoration in the world. In Jesus' name.